Welcome to the Business Benchmark Group podcast, where you'll learn how to think strategically about your business and discover that while business is not easy, it doesn't need to be hard. With over 20 years experience in turning stalling businesses into thriving enterprises, here is your host, Stefan Kazakis, the founder and CEO of Business Benchmark Group. Hi, I'm Stefan Kazakis from Business Benchmark Group and welcome to this week's episode of our podcast series. Today's, uh, I guess today's topic, again, similar to uh, in recent weeks where uh, we were on a radio interview. It's a very uh, popular uh, radio that we were interviewed on and, and we were talking upon, um, I guess, business reflection, business review, business honesty, business transparency, ultimately business health checks and the importance of constantly, constantly building a muscle in your business where you're you're looking at, uh, okay, what happened versus what should have happened? What didn't happen that should have happened? How do you constantly do the business health check and ultimately do the review and and, and, and reflection and thereafter do the reset? How is it that you're you're doing that so that you're, I guess, not just walking past the, uh, the, the, the decrease standard if that was going on in your business you know what is it that uh, didn't happen that should have happened that you're now putting a little bit more flashlight to and ultimately helping those around you within your team including yourself get your hands back on the business shovel and keep on I guess creating an outcome that's not the outcome that's not desirable so we do a fair bit of uh, discussion in an open forum where there's callback and there's some real interesting sort of uh, you know dialogue that goes on and this was across the whole country uh, this particular uh, radio interview where we talk about business health checks and it's such a uh, it's such a critical muscle as business owners and leaders to not only be looking forward which is totally where the future power is but be really cool about the present and be fairly fairly I guess sober about what has happened versus what needs to happen I'm Stefan Kazagas I look forward to your feedback on this uh, podcast and uh, I thank you I thank you so much for your support and our listenership on this podcast is continue to grow and we're uh, we're very very excited for that. Welcome to Nightlife, the first hour. Much as we reflect on what's going on in our lives from time to time and whether we're heading in the right direction, it's really important sometimes for business owners to periodically take stock of where it's heading. Really easy to keep on with the daily grind, assuming your business is heading in the right direction. And tonight we're going to have a look at why it's important to stop and take a good hard look. Stefan Kazakis is a small business coach and author of From Deadwood to Diamonds. Uh, Stefan, good evening. Good evening, Tony. Really pleased to be here. And Matthew Dickerson's also with us tonight, a small business expert, and uh, they're both in the studio tonight. Great to see you, Matthew. Yeah, how are you going, Tony? Stefan, I'll start with you. Uh, why is it important to periodically reflect on the business and the structure? Oh, I guess there's two key um, key milestones, Tony, every year, and one is the uh, the end of a calendar year, and we're all sort of gearing up for what is the anticipation of New Year's resolutions mm. and what have you, yep. as is the end of a financial year when it comes to business. So two key uh, milestones that reflect, are we or are we on, are not on track with um, what we had planned, envisaged, and, and working hard to achieve? I guess many small business owners probably see their business as uh, almost a... Uh, like one of the kids, uh, you know, a, a sacred thing that, uh, you know, is untouchable. Uh, is that a problem? 
I'm yet to meet I'm yet to meet a mother that uh, gives birth that says, "Geez, that's an ugly baby." <laughs> so no different with our business, where uh, you know we we do get emotionally attached, and sometimes that could be the uh, the making of a uh, a significant problem. Yeah, you have to say, Stefan, that I have never seen a time in business where things are moving so quickly. Uh, you know, uh, I was having a look at some strip shops the other day. And this is an area that used to be absolutely thriving. But uh, there was a huge hyper barn that opened not far away. And all of a sudden, the strip shops have, uh, have died and really struggling for business. And that's something that happens over a you know, two, three-year period. Yeah, so the, uh, the importance of milestone uh, reflection, milestone evolution, and periodic um, assessment. And ultimately, are we executing in accordance with what the market needs? Not only what do we need as the individual stakeholders in the business but uh is it is it the ideal decision to be moving in a certain direction do we need to be uh flexible and adaptable is critical and hence why health checks and and considerable in in timeline i guess um audits of the business is um is critical yep. and choosing the advisory teams that again don't have the emotional connection but can give you again sound advice um, having walked their own uh, talk and talking their own walk. Mm. So uh, a good accountant and a good lawyer? And definitely a great coach. Yeah. Matthew, um, the New South Wales government has just recently launched an independent review into local government in New South Wales. And I know this has happened across the country. Uh, various states have at, uh, uh, thought that perhaps local government could be a little more efficient than they have been. Mm. Uh, is that a good thing? Well, look, the fit for the future is what you referred to mm. as the state government. And I think that the logic is sound. What you pick as a criteria is critical. So the state government chose seven different criteria. In business, I, I think you'd want to pick some key criteria that you might want to look at and really look at that and compare that from year to year. So it's that idea of looking at your business, taking the emotion out of it, because exactly as Stefan said, you've really got that emotional attachment to businesses. So you, you want to take that out of it. And if you start to break it out in some clinical numbers and really analyze those numbers you start to get a better snapshot of your business and and i go a step further tony don't just look at the p l don't just look at the balance sheet uh, that's where your accountants grow they can tell you where you've been and that's what the p l and the balance sheet do they tell you what the past has done but what you're doing with a health check the same as when you go for a health check with the doctor you don't want to say what i've already got doctor you want to say where am I going? What, yeah. what can I avoid? What can I look at in terms of the future? And that's what you're trying to do with a health check in your business. Look at where you're going in the future. Matthew, it's interesting as far as local government is concerned. Uh, it's remarkable that uh, people often identify local government as an area that they're unhappy with. And yet if anybody wants to touch it, they get very hot <laughs> under the collar. So uh, it's almost an area where we don't like them, but they're ours. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and that's that from a local government perspective, people do feel that close ownership. And it's the same with businesses. People get very attached to a business. In, and what you want from your consumers in a business is that emotional attachment. You want them to know that you're the business they go to for the advice, you're the business they go to for that emotional attachment. And one of the pieces of advice I often give to businesses is take advantage of that. And for the for the sake of or the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get some great advice, some really 
honest advice from some of your clients by inviting them out for a coffee and using that as one of the tools you use for a health check. So you pick five, ten clients. You might pick one or two clients every month, so it's an ongoing process. Invite them out for a cup of coffee. They're very honored to feel that you want to go out and have a coffee with them, and you grill them about your business, and you'll get some really honest answers. Some people are scared of doing that, Tony, because they think, I don't want to hear what my customers have to say, and if they do that, they really are burying their heads in the sand. So go and have a coffee with those customers and, and really feel that emotional attachment from those customers but get some great honest feedback as well mm. and uh, as I was saying to Stefan a little bit earlier don't expect that uh, what happened last year and the year before to be exactly reflected in the next five years of trading uh, well, it's a very volatile um, you know uh, place at the moment simply because you know we're having a, a bit of a national downturn at the moment we're certainly not getting that uh, really strong growth that we were uh, two, three, four, five years ago. Well, here's a scary stat for you, Tony. The, the Fortune 500 list was first published in 1955, so 60 years ago. And Fortune 500, of course, the 500 most profitable companies in the US, or, or sorry, the 500 highest turnover companies in the US, 88% of the companies that were published in 1955 are not on that list today. So there's that constant change. And the, the estimation now is if you make it on the Fortune 500 list, which is a, a big thing for American companies to do, the life expectancy on average is that you'll last 15 years on there. So things are churning very quickly. Yeah. It's really interesting, Matthew. Uh, I mean, uh, you look back to what were considered to be blue chip stocks in uh, Australia in the 1980s, and a lot of them don't exist or have uh, been remoulded completely. Yeah, and that's because markets change. And one of the things that I always suggest in a health check is don't just look at your business. You, you might have a, a wonderful business, but the industry you're in might be in decline. So if you're in a tobacconist industry, for example, or if you're in a, a, a retail, sorry, a, a video retail store or renting out DVDs, in, in some of these industries, obviously the industry itself is in a downturn. If you're in a film processing lab many years ago when people would bring in the old-fashioned film and get it processed, you might have been a great business person, but the entire industry was in downturn. So that's one of the important things mm. in a health check. Where's your industry going? What's happening in your industry? Yeah. Stephen, you've got to make sure you don't have that Kodak moment where you think, oh, what's this digital photography? It won't last. Yeah, and I guess one of the, um, I guess for me, what I believe in is being trusted is the greatest gift. But being trusted that you're always at the uh, at the curve of, not exactly being revolutionary because that can be very expensive, but at the curve of where an industry is going, what the market actually needs, what your exact target market actually needs. So again, just continuously assessing, are we serving the target market that we aim to serve? Are we still relevant? Are we still receiving repeat business? And, and a love the fact that, you know, taking out your clients and getting some feedback is, is such an easy thing to do. We also advise many of our clients to, uh, you know, put on a lunch and have a focus group and, and create some new clients and old clients in the same room and ask the same questions. But there's got to be a purpose in terms of that um, strategy, which is ultimately doing the trust test. You know, will these clients that are currently buying from you and, and ultimately referring their best friends to you, Will they continue to do that? And what may you need to do? The 1% changes, the 1% differences that ultimately ensure that you're at the, at, the, at the edge of where the industry is going and what makes you continuously relevant. It's uh, kind of difficult too because uh, you've got to keep evolving the business as well. Uh, uh, we had an expert on here you know, about 10 years ago who said, if you're not trying to make your product outdated, certainly your opposition is. <laughs> and so you know, staying ahead of the game and, and uh, not saying, oh, that's worked well for us for the last 10 years, uh, why won't it work for the next 10? 
And knowing yeah. the business you're in, Tony, and, and I mean, it, it sounds silly, but you, you picked that Kodak moment you mentioned a moment ago, and, and I, I don't think Kodak knew the business they were in. They thought they were in the business of selling film, and they had a very successful business in that. In fact, in 1999, they owned 74% of the market share in the US. 800 million rolls of film were sold in the US in that year. They weren't in the film selling business, so they were in the storytelling business. And the digital camera you mentioned that they invented in 1975 was something that they didn't think they were in the business of selling digital cameras. They were in the business of telling stories, and they really lost sight of that. So understanding what business you are really in, not what product you sell, that's a different thing. The product you sell and the business you're in can be two completely different things. You need to focus on that focus on that process going forward. Yeah. And, and also you look at uh, Sony in the 80s, you know, with the, the Walkman. Uh, you know, it absolutely dominated its, uh, its market share. Mm. Uh, it didn't stay there, though. Uh, you know, the new technology came up and knocked it off. Yeah, exactly right. And, and Sony were working hard on trying to do something, again, that was what they thought was what consumers wanted. But they thought that people wanted some way to play a cassette tape and then they invented the the disc man which some way to play a, a cd but really what people wanted was the ability to have portable music and that's when the ipod came along and and delivered portable music and also made it easy and the, the critical part there was not just an easy way to play music but an easy way to get music and that was the the critical factor in the success of the iPod, Steve Jobs made it very easy to actually get music onto there. So they weren't the first ones to have a digital music player, but they were ones that made it easy to get mm. music on there. Yeah. So thinking about it from a consumer perspective, what do consumers want to do? Do they want to go through 28 steps or do they want to make it easy? Yeah, and I mean, a lot of people are saying, well, we're not Sony and we're not uh, Kodak, uh, but it's the principle is still the same. You know, if you are not uh, improving your business, somebody else around you is Absolutely and right. uh, going to challenge you in the not distant future. Yeah, and, and some of those companies we've talked about there have the ability to shape that market to a certain extent, and I think that's that's Kodak's mistake. They believe their marketing was so strong, this little digital camera thing would be pushed out to the side by their incredible marketing machine. They could have shaped the market and made digital cameras come in even earlier. But even if you're a little business with one or two people, you've still got to be looking at industry trends to see if you're going to be relevant and what business. You've got to be able to be flexible and adapt. What business are you in so I can make sure I can keep delivering on that business, not on that product. Mm. Stefan, you identify six pillars for exceptional business growth. Uh, can you give us a line on a couple of them? Marketing, for example, is one of them. Yeah, definitely, and that's not where uh, where we start. The, the most important pillar uh, to creating a business that's predictable for profit and continual growth, the first and most important is operations. It's the systems. It's the ultimate, um, I guess, how is this going to deliver on the promise that we're going to market with? So that must be confirmed before you go market. Um, thereafter is finance and understanding the basics, the fundamentals of how the numbers work and, and how it's important that every, every, everything we create as a strategy will end up in a number at some point. There is no two ways. So the fundamental skills of knowing how the numbers from words are translated into words and thereafter into numbers. Third point is marketing because now we know who it is that we're wishing to serve and what it is that they ultimately need and how quick and how better and much more competitive we need to be and how do we attract that target market and thereafter sales, which is the fourth pillar, how do we make it easy for them to buy? See, in business, you never should sell. It should be about making it easy for people to buy. And once they buy once, they're a shopper. It's when they buy twice that they actually become a customer. 
It's now that they've trusted you to deliver, as you promised the first time, the quality, the time frame, and ultimately the, the, the long-lasting um, um, solution to whatever was their need or problem. Then comes loyalty. And loyalty, which is the fifth pillar, is one of the most important ones because if you get loyalty with your customers, but if you also get loyalty with your team so that you're not churning and burning and constantly training them, what you ultimately have is a business that now is growing profit because of it's, it's minimalizing its burn rate with clients and team. And the last and not least is growing the team. The sixth pillar is growing a team that one day will definitely be better than you. You'll be able to afford them and you'll be ultimately in a position where your exit strategy and succession um, plan is, is, is executed accordingly. So they're the six pillars to building a business that's predictable mm. for profit. They're basic and at every generational uh, point of business and business growth, you constantly reinvent and evolve those six pillars. Stephen, we've uh, seen one of the major corporations of Australia just uh, have a, a good hard look at their loyalty program over the weekend. Mm. Woolworths announcing that they are uh, changing it almost completely. Mm. Uh, it's one of those things where if you realise you're coming second or third or fourth in the market, uh, uh, it's uh, time for a strategy change. Yeah, and all my greatest ideas um, ended up being my greatest problem as well. So, you know, some, sometimes these ideas are uh, thrashed out on these uh, on these boardroom tables, small or big, and ultimately the, the fact that Woolworths is pulling back on it shows that they're brave and they're listening to their market, which is not a bad thing to do. I think we've also got to understand that where the world is today, you know, the whole aspect of click and mortar, not everything is about brick and mortar anymore. It's about click and mortar. You do need the fusion of the digital presence in your business, not not to a high degree, but to some degree. That is definitely the future. If your business hasn't got an element, an element, a percentage, a slice, a minority of some digital presence and platform, you won't be in business in 15 years' yeah. time, and that's a fact. And the other aspect to that is, and this is what the exciting thing is to be an Australian business right now, is the whole opportunity for globalisation. The whole opportunity to do so much more business in an, on an international level with so many organisations, so many organisations, some are government born and some are um, privately owned, that are willing to help organisations become global. Yeah, there was a recent study where uh, 74% out of 2,000 businesses across 123 industries were, uh, were participating in the questionnaire, and 74% of them had made it very clear that over the next two years they will be exporting with an ambition to two, at least two other countries, with the biggest country being China. 19% of that was China. So these are indicators that, again, at a grassroots level in small business, people are starting to think global. And the fact that technology and digital is available, mm. there is no better time than the now, and you don't need much money to do it. All you need is an idea backed by confidence and clarity and a great plan, and off you go. Matthew, uh, I guess one example of this is uh, the Ugg boot, which, uh, you know, was literally, uh, I think, either in, depending on who you believe, a New Zealand or Australian invention. And uh, these days, uh, you know, we've taken it to the world. Well, well, unfortunately, we've taken it to the world, but it's not owned by Australia anymore. The, mm. the name Ugg boot is no longer owned by Australia, but that's exactly right. It doesn't matter how big or small you are. The Ugg boot, I'd like to hear the Australian version rather than the New Zealand version, especially with the World Cup coming up this weekend, Tony, so I'll take it that <laughs> Australia was the first one there. But in terms of the Ugg boot, exactly right. We, we had a simple thing, a simple concept, and as it grew, we did take that to the world. Now, that was well and truly before people were doing internet sales and people 
people were, were basically globalising their business via the internet. Imagine if the Ugg boot was invented in Australia today, you would be able to take it to the world in a, in a much easier fashion than it was taken to the world many years ago. I don't know whether you were aware of uh, Australian story last night, but was, there was an incredible uh, yarn about uh, some uh, northern uh, New South Wales coast people who invented uh, the new hive, basically. This, this is a, an ability to drain the honey out of the, uh, out of the hive very easily and with oh. a minimum of fuss to the bees. And uh, it started out, uh, you know, seeking seventy thousand dollars, I think, from the uh, from the World Wide Web to finance the expansion. Uh, they got uh, about twelve or thirteen million dollars, <laughs> and uh, they can't keep up with the orders still. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and that's the beauty that we have now. And again, it's being adaptable. The way you would raise capital in years gone by is completely different now to the crowdfunding models that you're talking about there. So, these are all the things you've got to be able to do, and the ability to adapt. I'll just go back for a moment, Tony, when you mentioned Woolworths, and I, I recently had Grant O'Brien just before he resigned as CEO, and it wasn't my fault, just for the record there. <laughs> <laughs> I had him out to a breakfast, I uh, invited him out to a breakfast, and we had a breakfast, and one of the things that he said I thought was absolutely brilliant, because he talked about the process that an organisation of, of that size has in terms of the focus groups, the loyalty cards, all these things, and he said the thing that stuck in his mind the most, and I think everyone remembered it from the breakfast as well, was that in all of that... There was a little lady sitting there through a day's focus group. At the end of it, she just said, well, all those things are wonderful and your brand and, and the loyalty cards and all these things that you do as a big business, she said. But if the lady at the checkout counter smiles at me when I pay my, for my groceries, I'll come back again. So don't get lost in all the big marketing hype that some of those big companies have and you think of all this marketing muscle. It can be as simple as smiling when someone walks out the door. So you can do that in your business with one person or you can do it in a Woolworths with 90,000 people. So those simple concepts are still very important. Mm. Uh, to be honest, Matthew, uh, I was hearing a story the other day from somebody who's just come back from New Zealand and uh, it was just an in interesting uh, sideline as to how much uh, robotics is starting to come into business. Mm. Um, she went into a local shop and said, oh, the petrol station's not open. And she said, oh, yes, it is. And they said, well, there's no one there. And they said, oh, no, all you've got to do is go over there, swipe your card, and it will instantly come alive and uh, and put the petrol in. And da -da. But it's eliminated the people almost completely from yeah. the service station. Uh, and, uh, you know, she'd never seen it quite as automatic as this before. And uh, this is just a, a signal that, you know, the businesses are changing very rapidly and even the dispensing of fuel has yeah. become, you know, very automatic. Well, Bill Gates and Stephen Hawking both have said that they think robotics will take over a lot of jobs. But you can't call them service stations anymore, Tony, because the old old days of sitting in your car and, and I had a visitor over recently from overseas where they still have service stations in, in that particular country and he actually pulled up at the service station and sat in his car <laughs> and I said what are you doing? So I'm waiting for the service station. I said sorry it's a little bit different to that so the old days of having your windscreen clean and someone coming out and actually filling mm. up with petrol they're gone but again if you had a service station and I think there's one state in the US that actually mandates that people must come out and fill the car with petrol to try and protect jobs. Now, I think that's completely the wrong attitude because you're using some laws or protectionism to protect those jobs. You've got to let the market be the market. And so yeah. people are happy to accept lower prices for fuel given the fact that they don't get that same level of service they used to get. Yeah. Stefan, uh, Matthew just highlighted the, the checkout chick as being uh, uh, the very important part of the equation. I wasn't uh, saying checkout chick. I wouldn't well, go that far, Tony. Well, well, 
check out, <laughs> check out personnel. I, I, was, I was sort of being um, amusing, hopefully. Uh, but uh, Matthew uh, um, mentioned that. Uh, Stefan, uh, I mean, um, you know, your frontline troops are obviously vital. Oh, there's nothing more vital than the uh, the, the public-facing uh, customer service and the public-facing culture and, and how that's inward-outwards and upwards-downwards. I mean, it's just... It's non-negotiable, and uh, if we can't have that front line smiling and genuinely smiling and being authentic and, and the care factor that goes with just knowing someone's name, if they're a regular or, or making a point of learning someone's name, if they're going to become a regular, and that should be our intentions, building clients for life. And clients for life are only built if we're not only delivering a product and service, but also building a product and service that has a bit of care factor. The humanisation of a business is so critical, yeah. and all things being equal. All things being equal, everyone will keep on buying stuff from people they like. All things being equal. So yeah. the humanisation of what it takes to be a great business, regardless how big or small, is, is critical. Stefan, obviously fast food, uh, they tend to work off a, a profile which is delivered by head office. Um, that's uh, obviously impractical as far as a small business is concerned, but um, should the principle be there, you know, so that uh, your approach to customers is set? Oh, I, I think um, the only profile is um, a profile that cares, uh, whether you're a small or a, or a large organisation. So when, when it comes to team and building team and confirming culture and having everyone understanding it versus feeling, oh, geez, I better do it because they want me to do it. It's about a process that's called deselection or promotion. So people are either promotable, as in they keep on growing with their business, and leave their own little chapter in the book. You know, leave their own little page mm. in the chapter. You know, you've got to give everyone a, a uh, I guess, a stage to get on and, and just be exceptional. You know, systemize the routine and humanize the exception. Allow people to be exceptional. So when it comes to building team and and, and creating, um, you know, the, the public facing or even the internal. Because there's even the internal uh, customers uh, being the team itself, how that functions, which is a reflection of how the external functions. You've got to give people a stage to, to be exceptional. Let them be themselves. Yeah. Sometimes businesses have big personalities, and then the, less, the lesser personalities have an issue with being champions, right? But that shouldn't be the case. Stephen, I've got to say that a good friend of mine who uh, just about two years ago, three years ago, took over a, a small business in a, a small strip shop uh, section and uh, has turned it round considerably. It was doing okay. It's now doing quite well. And part of the process was just cleaning the shop up so that it looked more pristine. Mm. Uh, it was a closed alterations job so that, you know, the, improved the lighting. So it, it seemed to be almost more welcoming coming into the store. Uh, some better mirrors so that people could see, you know, the clothes uh, to, their, to their best degree. And so just a few things that, you know, cost a few hundred dollars, you know, better lighting and better mirror uh, made a, a whole difference to, uh, to the, the outcome. And also making sure that the shop was tidy all the time and not bits of uh, uh, cotton and, uh, and material all over the place. Yeah, I, I, just, I just feel that retail is such an industry that is just about to make a... Uh a considered boom, particularly what you just described as a sector of retail, which, you know, for, for a decade or so is feeling the pinch of, oh, what about us, versus just think outside the square. If you have belief 
and you have confidence and you get clarity and you have a plan and you just go for it. And when they walk in through the door, just make it exceptional what you deliver in terms of service and, and interaction. If you do that and then collect the database and keep on communicating with them on a digital frequent and relevant basis. Help them come back again and revisit and confirm that it wasn't a fluke the first time. You watch what happens. We have clients all over Australia that are um, in that situation, Tony, and they're just constantly growing. We had a client last week that was a Telstra Business Award finalist that a year and a half ago was on the brink of death. And that just it just took a, a couple little basic changes. There was no cash flow available to make the big changes, just the fundamental little changes, exactly what you just described. And it just turned that business on its head, and it was a finalist uh, last week at the Telsa Business Awards here in Victoria. And it's just it's phenomenal if you just embrace belief. Mm. And, Tony, one of the things I find interesting to, when you're working with a business is to take the team, take all the staff, and literally go outside the business, walk outside, and then say, you walk into this business every day as a staff member here, but you have your head down and you go to where you're going, now walk out and walk in as a customer and see what you see. And exactly your point there, sometimes it could be as simple as, well, there's a few spiderwebs there. Maybe we should clean those up. That doesn't look very good when you walk in. You walk in every day past those spiderwebs, but you're not looking out for that sort of thing. So you don't have to spend a lot of money to just change the focus, change the attitude a little bit, clean up a few things, just make it more presentable. When you walk in as a, as a customer with a customer focus, look for those sort of things yeah. that you think are nice to see. Matthew, it's interesting. I was in one of the department stores the other day as well, and it was a very subtle thing, but... A very distinct thing. Uh, we were in a sort of clothes section, uh, ladies and, and gentlemen's clothes area, and the music had changed considerably. It was very upbeat. It was very, you know, it sounded like it had been hand-selected. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting. It changed the whole atmosphere of the shop. Uh, the, you know, the stores looked identical, yep. but the music had changed. And the, it influenced the staff, too, because they were more upbeat. Mm. And you know more in uh, well more inviting, I think. And that can be exactly that type of thing. As an example, you might take your staff outside, and when you walk in, the staff might say, "Oh, I've never really noticed that, that music, but that music's terrible. Can't we do something about that?" And the and the manager can say, "Sure thing. Well, now it's your job to select the music and make it something that you would like to walk into as a consumer." And suddenly, they've got a bit of ownership of that, and they'll put something that might be relevant or more relevant to their customers coming in. So it can be. How much did it cost them to change the music? Probably zero, but. Mm. How did it make you feel as a consumer? Obviously, more upbeat. And as you said, the staff more upbeat as well. So those can be the little things. Uh, Stefan talks about the one percenters, and I'm a big fan of the one percenters as well. Just make those little changes. Lots of one percents can add up to, well, 100 one percents can add up to 100 percent. Mm. So they can, they can all add up those little things as subtle changes. Stefan, uh, probably a lot of people saying, uh, you know, one and two people businesses, uh, they're probably, you know, working 20 hours a day at best. Uh, you know, in fact, I'm aware of uh, one lady who, uh, you know, often uh, listens to us right through to one o'clock in the morning. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's part of her night's uh, extra work as, uh, as she uh, plods away and uh, keeps the business on, on track. Uh, it is one of those really difficult things. But, uh, you know, um, you uh, do you have time sometimes to to run the analysis and to uh, and to make the changes that are required? Yeah, look, um, I, I guess the best answer to that, and we deal with plenty. And, and, and let's face it, I mean, it's a big part of SME. I mean, that that one to two uh, 
um, employee or owner self-employed um, sector is, is is massive. It's it's an engine room in Australia, and I guess if you're putting it, let's say the uh, the twelve or so hours in every day, then what could it look like if you just changed some of the activity for those twelve hours? Don't change the hours. I mean, that's mm. that's what it is. But what could it look like if you just changed one hour every day and just changed the activity? What if you called that hour the hour of power and did something with it? Like you had to think as if you were a $5 million business owner versus a $200,000 business owner. What would you be doing differently? What sort of decisions would you be making differently? I just constantly think, you know, we talk about milestone health checks, you know, end of calendar year, end of financial year. But every other day should be three questions. What's working? What's not working? And what am I doing about it? Because if you keep on answering those three questions with brutal truth, at some point there's going to be a trend to the answers. For which now it's up to you to take accountability and do something about it. Mm. So whether you're a one-man, two-man, you've just got to get on with just finding that hour of power at least. Matthew, where would you suggest people look for new ideas? If you've got a business that's sort of working and sort of not and you need to take it to the next level, I mean, what sort of ideas can you, you know, milk from the market? Well, actually, one of the things that I like to do for businesses is tell them to enter business awards. And it seems like, oh, that's great, we get a pat on the back for winning an award, but the award is irrelevant. If you actually take an entry form for, for almost any business award, mm. Stefan mentioned Telstra Business Awards, there's a number of different local business awards. We just had our local business awards last Friday night, and, and people put all this time and effort into filling in an entry form. You're almost having an external look at your business without having someone external come along, but just by filling in the entry form, you're actually thinking about the questions that are being asked by the the person or the organisation running the business awards, and sometimes out of that, you can come up with new ideas. So it might ask a a series of questions, and you might say, well, I've I've never really thought about that. I I, I don't really do that that well in my business. So you're answering the question, but you're also thinking, how can I do that better? Now, I'm not saying you go and change your business to suit a business award profile to try and win an award, but it just gives you a way to look at your business and maybe come up with some external ideas because coming up with new ideas sometimes can be difficult, but just having that almost external look via an award process I think is a great idea. Just wondering whether you'd like to join us, uh, my guests in studio tonight, Matthew Dickerson and uh, Stefan Kazakis. We're talking about small businesses and developing them and making them better than they are. Uh, you know, maybe you've got some direct experience in this, uh, things that you've done that uh, have worked for you. Uh, maybe you're just starting out on the road and uh, finding that uh, the, the big guys are eating you up and spitting you out and uh, you like to uh, reverse that situation perhaps uh, you you know looking to try and inspire the staff to uh, make them perform a little bit better than they have been uh, if you would like to talk about it we'd love to talk to you lines are now open call 1300 800 222 Helen uh, you had a big problem with a large supermarket oh hi yeah look I I this was a few years ago now I, my mother died and I had spent the morning laying out her body and it was a very difficult time and we lived just on the peninsula and I was driving down and I stopped at a supermarket to get some groceries to get dinner for my husband and my two small children and the girl at the checkout said, how's your day been so far? Well, well, you can imagine what I almost did. I, I, I nearly burst into tears. I nearly threw the shopping at her, but I didn't. But to me, and for many years since, that phrase is just so meaningless. And I'm listening to your guests, and I'm hearing so many cliches. 
and including that one, and I just think it doesn't mean anything. A smile, something meaningful is wonderful, but all those Americanisms are just a load of whatever. They really just don't mean anything. And uh, and, and I feel so sorry for the staff that are instructed to deliver them. I really do. And if it is delivered as a script, then that is terrible because people do say, oh, I've been told to say, how is your day? And I say that like a robot, and it means nothing. And so I think the best advice for staff is to make sure you have that interaction with customers in a friendly manner, but do it the way it suits you. So if you would normally say, how are you going? Say, how are you going? It's okay. If you'd normally say, how's your day been? Say it. But if, as long as it's natural and there's some meaning behind it there, uh, I think that's fine. But yeah, when you get organizations, you can, you can almost hear them say a script they've been told to say. That's when it does seem meaningless. And uh, Helen, it's also a bit like that uh, call centre thing, you know, your call is important to us and the wait time is about 45 minutes. That's right, too, yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, there's so many cliches in the business and I I guess that's the ultimate. Helen, do you ever see anyone that you think uh, is really impressive, you know, in other words, uh, you know, who, you know, communicates, uh, you know, obviously, you know, very naturally and, 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 you know, winningly? There's, there's certain people in certain supermarkets, and I, I will, I find myself now actually running my eye over the checkouts at no matter what supermarket I'm in, and I, I there's certain people I avoid, and um, but but usually it's just the the very natural person, the young the young kid who's who will just come out with the a very spontaneous sort of thing, and who. Um, I find, if I can say, one of the lesser, not not the two big ones, but the, the slightly lesser, lesser big, big, big thing they tend to employ young kids who are very natural, natural young people, and they're terrific. And some of the older women are great, but uh, yeah, but some of the other ones just seem so browbeaten that they just come out with the usual garbage, and uh, and that's really sad, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes back to that point Grant O'Brien made that all the the ritzy marketing means nothing if you have an unpleasant experience with a checkout person. Oh, absolutely, and you don't go back. That's, that's I, guess, I guess the, uh, the continual investment in training those younger, uh, younger people needs to also be acknowledged by those smaller independent uh, supermarkets who are really, you know, they're, they're facing a, uh, a significant challenge. So I think, Helen, um, what's also important is that at least um, three words were put together versus the chewing gum and, uh, and the... Uh, I guess the the less the lack of eye contact that could have been the alternative as well. Yeah, uh, well, or or uh, as uh, we hap- uh, happened in a department store about uh, six or seven months ago, uh, I was desperately trying to pay for something and no one would come and take my money. It was like you know. Well, that's yeah. that's, that's that's the other one too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you feel so relieved when you can actually find somebody. So. Uh, where was yeah. the robot, Tony? You needed to find the robot to oh, take your money. Absolutely. Helen, uh, thank you very much for the call. Um, ben, the security guard, says, uh, I work security and I smile at clients and it's very effective. Uh, just being nice to everyone, even in a bad situation, the client really appreciates a smiling face at 3 a.m. <laughs> they probably don't remember the smiling face the next day, Tony. <laughs> well, it, it's it's just, I guess, you know, um, you know, with with that sort of thing, it is very much a people-to-people situation and you know your reaction to them and uh, likewise it's uh, it's probably a, a key in uh, developing a long longer term relationship uh, Ray you wanted to discuss how a customer is spoken to when they enter a store yes that's right um, uh, in, a, in a way it's partly like a previous caller said 
but the, the, there's a lot of training that goes on to teach people to say silly things, like they, um, they end each sentence with today. Well, well, I'm not there tomorrow, so why bother about saying today? They, they use the wrong thing. Did you want? Uh, I just want to be approached intelligently, and apart from that, and I'm talking a lot, of, lot here about uh, takeaway, Maccas type of things, they play music that is not appropriate to their customer base. Uh, I've been into a McDonald's store and asked them to turn the music off and had half a dozen people come to me and say, thank you. <laughs> and like ABC Regional Radio is now playing the wrong music for its customer base. It's sometimes really difficult. Um, you know, you want to evolve, but you don't want to... Uh turn people away uh, you know when, when when you're doing it it's it is one of those things you know you you try and keep up to date but uh, by doing that sometimes you are going to dis disappoint people i mean it's part of that thing ray i often talk about making sure you're in touch with your customers and i'm a big fan of the survey and, and not just the one-off survey that you can tick a box every year but the rolling survey so if some of those organizations you're talking about there did do continual surveys and did get feedback from their customers at least they're able to deliver music for example that's the, what the majority of their customers and clients want and and that's really important a really good way for a business to stay in touch is that continual rolling survey well when it comes to music in any organization it's usually chosen by the youngest member of the staff <laughs> and, and that's just wrong i mean like i said a, a typical Macca's situation, you've got this bang-bang music coming out of the roof right above your ears, and you look around the store and there's seven couples there with grey hair. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy, Inc. I mean, uh, you've got to meet the market, as you say. one three hundred eight hundred triple two. if you'd like to join us. Craig, you uh, say uh, it's really important to get uh, good insurance and uh, do, you, do you need uh, regular balance? Yeah, I... Um really interested to get their opinion, get, um, opinion on this. Um, we had an experience with our insurance where we were we had multi-covers, you know, like all premium uh, or premium policies, um, and we had an incident. And when we went to claim on our policy, it got rejected and the premiums went up. And I, so I said, well, what's the point of having the insurance in small business if they're not going to cover the risk? And I started reducing our costs by trimming the policy. Um, and our insurance costs have really come down, you know, like dramatically come down. And I just wondered, you know, like we ended up changing brokers um, because we were really disappointed at the way it was handled when we had an incident. Um, and I just like, you know, you always talk about getting a, a good accountant and a good, good lawyer, and we have those, but you also need in my opinion, a really good insurance broker to, to help you because you just end up pouring money down the drain for policies that don't actually stack up if you ever have a problem. And I, I just wonder if that's just my opinion or, or if, if that is also commonly held. Mm. Matthew? Absolutely critical to get advisors surrounding your business that you can have faith in. And Stefan said the magic word before, trust. So whether it be your accountant or your solicitor or your insurance broker, having those people you can trust. And I think you did the right thing by changing your broker because if if you 
having policies that then claims are, are rejected when you actually need them, you don't find out how good your insurance policy is until you need to make a claim on it. And and if you if you fall down there, then you do lose a lot of trust in that broker or someone who's giving you that advice. So I think you've taken the right direction there. But it's also critical. The other the point that the bigger picture point that you've made there, Craig, is that looking at all of your business structures and trying to get time to do that. Tony mentioned it before in small business, hard to get the time, but you really need to set aside some time to look at that because you can be working away, churning at the grindstone, but really you're throwing money away by not spending the time to look at some things like your insurance policies. But having a look at those at least on an annual basis to see exactly where you're headed with all of those expenses. And go to a broker and get a second quote or third quote. Yeah, it's not a bad idea either. Yeah. yeah. All right. Ed, thanks so much for that. Daryl, uh, you want to talk about call centres and how they treat you. Yeah, Tony, as a, uh, you sort of triggered something that happened to me today. I, um, we got blown out last night with the electrical storm, so I lost my internet and uh, phone line. So I, I rang up the uh, provider this morning and uh, I provided him with all the answers and he said, now I just have to transfer you to somebody who can do something about it. And I thought, now what the hell have I been talking to you for five minutes for? <laughs> and don't you love it when they say, pin in your phone number, and then the first thing they say is, uh, what's your phone number? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so then I, I waited and waited, and because I was, I'd lost my landline, I was on my mobile phone, so my phone call, after half an hour I hung up, so that's probably cost me about 10 or 15 bucks for them to do bugger all why can't phone phone call centers and insurance companies and anybody that you've got to deal with on the phone who deals with a lot of public why can't they just say give us your phone number we'll ring you back when we've got somebody available well, I think Centrelink are starting to do that because they found that their delays were getting worse and worse and worse. So they've uh, now got a callback thing. But uh, you, you've got to say that 30 to 35 minutes. I understand when, you know, there's bad storms and things and stuff happens. But, uh, you know, it, it's not a huge surprise that there's storms in October. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's cost me a heap of money to unnecessarily when all they had to do was set their uh, phone system up so that, you, the, you've got their number or alternatively they can ask you a question which mm. you can trigger some way so that they, when they get down to, say, five calls from, from needing to have somebody to talk to you that they can automatically dial you and, and within five minutes you're talking to somebody, not just a bloody robot. And some of those messages, are, it's almost like the Chinese water torture. Yes, and your call is important to us. <laughs> Tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful. Thank you very much for sharing that one. Uh, I'm going to have to wrap it there, guys. I'm I'm sorry we've got a board for the calls on this one, and uh, we uh, will have to return to it at a future time. Um, Thanks so much for being there. Um, We've had uh, Stefan Kazakis, small business coach and author of From Deadwood to Diamonds, and uh, Matthew Dickerson, our small business expert here on the Nightlife. Uh, Great to see you guys. Hey, welcome back, and I hope you enjoyed that, uh, I guess, that sharing, that conversation regarding business health checks and all the, uh, I guess, all the all the nuances that come with reflection, reset, and ultimately, how is it that you can keep on, you know, building that belief, building that courage, building that progression and momentum with velocity in your, in your, in your sales to move this business, move your opportunity, move your ambition, move closer to your destination than ever before. And it's so, so, so important that we keep on looking backwards to ensure what worked, what didn't work, and be really clear and sober 
about what's happened today so that we can keep on molding and influencing and tightening, really tightening where we're going in the future. And the more tighter you are, the, the chances of realization are even higher, much higher. And, and I guess, you know, that important little message around where is the hour of power for you? Where is it that in your working week, in your working day, as an owner, as a leader, you are putting a minimum of one hour into, okay, what does this thing need to look like? What does this business need to look like? What does my life need to look like? What is more important for me to be doing with my team? How is it that I can help them grow and elevate and optimize in their own right, not only for their careers and their business, but also their life? You know, you are their leader. You are ultimately the influencer for where we go, and it's your responsibility to ensure you're one step, just one step ahead of everyone else. You are thinking in in future one step that's all that's needed and that hour of power will give you that consistent that consistent opportunity to ensure and you are clear with what is working what is not working and ultimately what are we doing about it i'm stefan kazakas business benchmark room i cordially invite you whether you're a current client a community member a podcast series avid listener i encourage you to get to the business benchmark group website and and do your business health check we've got 12 amazing questions there that give you so much insight into the three key moving parts of every business regardless of size location or industry you have an opportunity to reflect and review but ultimately do a business health check across those key moving parts as to where exactly are you right now and at the business benchmark group website it's a three-minute audit that's all it will take you but it will give you so so much more, I guess, springboard for what it is that you're optimizing in this next, I guess, period or a year or, uh, I guess, um, I guess, thinking that you may be as you're moving more from manager to owner every other day. I'm Stefan Kazakas, Business Benchmark Group, where we empower business owners to continuously achieve, continuously, non-negotiable. We are on your team as if we were million-dollar investors in your business. We are on your team. We care. We succeed. We go on real journeys with real people to achieve real results. And ultimately, the ultimate measure for us is, are we improving quality of life? For more information about Business Benchmark Group's coaching, education and training programs, visit businessbenchmarkgroup.com.au or call 03-9001-0878. If you liked this podcast, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud and leave feedback as well. Stefan shares so much value in all his podcasts and we encourage you to go through the archives and listen to other episodes of the Business Benchmark Group podcast. Thank you for listening.